couple of weeks ago in the afternoon, um, we took a break from our conscience study to to consider Jesus' instruction about anxiety alongside the contemporary idea of reframing. You might, you might remember that. But this afternoon, Lord willing, I'd like for us to return to our conscience study. You may remember from our previous study that we noted a couple of things that the human conscience can do. It can accuse or condemn us, or it can excuse or exonerate or absolve us. It accuses or condemns or it exonerates. A clear conscience that excuses and exonerates a Christian is a blessed thing. Yea, blessed is the man or woman whose conscience does not condemn him. Now we've noted that human conscience is a universal phenomenon. But I can't say that blessed is the non-Christian man or woman whose conscience does not condemn them with the same gusto that I can say that for the Christian Because the non-Christian conscience might be seared. It might be deadened and inactive. Or it might be deceived. Or it might be suppressed or compromised in some other way. But I can say, blessed is the Christian whose conscience does not condemn him. Blessed is the Christian whose conscience does not condemn her. But... Of both the Christian and the non-Christian, we can say, when your conscience is condemning you, you have a problem. You have a problem that needs to be dealt with when your own conscience is condemning you. I've talked to you before about how troubled consciences kill people. It's serious business, like a wailing smoke alarm. A conscience that's going off, it needs to be dealt with needs to be dealt with. Either the fire causing the smoke needs to be put out or the alarm needs to be silenced and reset because there's some error. But for the alarm to just keep blaring and blaring and blaring, that's not an acceptable solution. Something's got to change. You agree? So, what should a Christian do when her conscience condemns her? Or what should a Christian do when his conscience condemns him? Well, before we answer that question, think with me for a minute about how conversion to Christianity affects conscience. How does it affect the human conscience? Because we've we've already noted several times that conscience is a universal phenomenon. Christians, as well as non-Christians, have consciences. But how does Christianity affect conscience? The conscience. Well, I think that you could agree with me that it sort of enhances, it even sort of supercharges the conscience. Let me draw something. You know what that is? Okay. 
Can you read that? It says, our knowledge of God and our obedience to God. Now, I guess this would be time. I think this is what happens whenever someone becomes a Christian. And you know what the problem is here? I think you probably see the problem. The problem is that there's this gap. You see, when you become a Christian, you begin to learn more about what God requires because you're interested. You didn't care before. But now that you do care and you begin to educate your mind and you begin to educate your conscience, then you become conscious of this huge gap. Don't you? That's just the, that's this quantity. When a Christian, or whenever a person becomes a Christian, she begins to care about what God thinks about things. Like they never did before. And when a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God indwells her, indwells him. And in addition to being the comforter, what else is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's a teacher. Teaching the Christian the ways of Jesus. And so often, because of the gap between knowledge and obedience, the conscience highlights that gap. And and the feeling in the human psyche is not a feeling of absolution. It's a feeling of condemnation. Can anybody besides me relate to this? And for you that are young in the faith, I don't want to discourage you, but I will be honest with you. I am more aware of my fallenness today than I was when I first believed. I've read the Bible more. I've sat under the preaching and teaching of Holy Scripture more. I know more Christian doctrine. And my knowledge has increased much more quickly than my obedience. And I don't think I'm unique in that. Matter of fact, I know I'm not. True knowledge of God can't help but increase human awe and reverence. And the blinding light of God's holiness and the blackness of human fallenness and depravity becomes more and more evident. So, I I can honestly say that I'm more impressed with the grace of God now than I was when I was younger. (laughs) As the great Apostle Paul grew more mature in his Christian faith, he confessed things like this, I'm the least of all saints. Ephesians 3.8 Paul, I'm the least of all saints. I'm worse than all other sinners. Who? Paul said that. 1 Timothy 1.15 Listen, the more enlightened the eye, the more it can see as God sees, 
And Holy Holy Scripture declares, even the heavens are not pure in His sight. Job 15.15. And I know we always have to be careful when we quote from the book Job about who's talking. But that idea is supported by other Scripture. As we become more like God in our thinking, the more we see problems in ourselves. Do you see any problems in yourself? And that ought to make us more merciful, right? It should make us more full of mercy. When you see yourself, listen, this may explain why the Christian's conscience can condemn him. This gap between knowledge and obedience. But what should a Christian do? What should she do when her conscience condemns him? What should he do when his conscience... Well, listen, a couple, a couple of things. And the first one is this. If you are a Christian and your conscience is condemning you, and you are sinning, you should stop it. Pretty simple, right? You should stop it. Repent. Change your mind. Agree with God. Confess your sin and quit it. Quit it. And saints, you can mark this down. If you are a Christian, you should still be repenting when they put you in the ground. You should still be saying, oh, oh, you're right, God, I'm wrong. When God shows you your sin, it's your blessed privilege and your duty, your responsibility to agree with Him and to change your mind, conforming your mind to His mind and to stop evil, if that's what's needed, or to start good. That's a sin of commission versus a sin of omission. But... The Pauline epistles paint a picture of the Christian life as a struggle of sin against righteousness, don't they? Of good versus evil in the human heart and mind. So anytime a preacher tells you that the Christian life is easy, listen, he's lying. It's hard. It's not easy. It involves dying, actively dying mortifying, killing things in our minds that are in opposition to God. And as dying and death is often painful, Christian mortification is often unpleasant. But afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 11.11 So first, if your conscience is condemning you and you're sinning, stop. Stop. But secondly, Christians, what should we do when our consciences condemn us? And this is what this this is the big one. Please listen. We should remember the gospel. We must remember the gospel. Let me remind you of some good news that you already know. But when your conscience is condemning you, you'll need to hear the good news again. Listen. Christ receiveth sinful men. God made Him 
who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Well, that's just too good to be true. Precisely. Precisely. But listen, it is true. It is true. That's why it's gospel. That's why it's good news. Let me remind you of something else. I preached a sermon several years ago to you that I had entitled The Christian Laver. Do you know what a laver is? I know our Latin teachers do. It's a place for washing, like a lavatory, a lavatory, a sink or a bowl or something like that, coming to us from the Latin lavat, L-A-V-A-T, meaning I wash. And in my sermon, the Christian laver is a text of Holy Scripture that Christians must come to again and again and again and again. And that text is 1 John 1, verse 9, which says, and this is the beloved apostle speaking by the authority of Jesus. And he says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And friend, if you're not a Bible verse memorizer, well, you should change. And and that's one you should know. That's one you should know. That's the Christian labor. It's the place of cleansing. But listen, to, to really receive the psychological benefit of that, it's important to see that verse in context. Before the Christian labor... 1 John 1, 9. Before, in verse 8, the beloved apostle writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Then, verse 9, but if we confess, and immediately after that, in verse 11, or sorry, verse 10, the apostle writes, If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, Christian, put away from your mind any idea of perfectionism. John's letter here, John's letter is addressed to Christians. He's not writing to pagans. He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to the lost. He's writing to the saved, to the saints. But saints are still sinners. And they know it. And they know it. And they confess it. And they don't lie about it. They don't deceive anyone about it. And they don't even deceive themselves about it. They confess their sins to God. And they'll admit before men that they are sinners in need of a Savior. Now, there's something quite interesting about this text. Seems like we might expect it to say, if we confess our sins, God is kind and merciful. But that's not what John says. Now, listen, God is kind and God is full of mercy. 
He's kind and merciful. That's not what John's talking about. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, just think about this for a minute. If you had just confessed to a crime, do you want to hear that the judge that you're going to have to deal with is very just and very righteous? Or faithful? Is that, is that good news? Yeah, I, I mean, I just told him I did it. And this guy is just. Well, I believe that John purposefully chooses these Greek words to be counterintuitive. And he does it, I believe, to highlight the good, good, good news of the gospel. And I think this really becomes clear if you read the next couple of verses, the next couple of sentences in his letter. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 1, and the first part of verse 2. He says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins. So you probably know that a propitiation is a sacrifice that turns aside the justly deserved wrath of God. And the Bible teaches that the propitiatory sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, has fully satisfied the justice of God and has turned away the wrath of God from all who enter into it. You know that? When we embrace Jesus, the Son of God, when we unite with Him, when we bow the knee and confess that He is Lord, Master, Savior, King, we enter into His cross work, which propitiated the wrath and the justice of God against sinners. Listen, friend, if you're in Jesus, God is not mad at you. So, beloved John is teaching that when you or I, Christians, when we commit sin, but then we turn and confess to God in repentance, I've sinned. John's teaching that God would be unjust. He would be unjust. He would be unfaithful if He didn't forgive because of the propitiatory work of Jesus. And God's not unjust. He's faithful. And so in this uh, glorious climax, John affirms that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God not only forgives the sin, but He washes it away. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Listen, the unrighteousness is washed away. And in the eye of heaven... The eye that truly matters, we're righteous. Now, let me just tell you this in words that we all know. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can purify the Christian conscience? Listen, listen. Nothing 
but the blood of Jesus. The apostolic writer to the Hebrews teaches that the blood of Jesus can cleanse our consciences from works that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. Hebrews 9.14, this is the New International Version. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You want your conscience clean, friend, Christian? The only way will be by the blood of Jesus, by remembering the gospel, the good news, by preaching that gospel to yourself again and again and again and again. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty Stains. I'm telling you, it's really, really, really good news. Beloved, listen. (laughs) Only the cross of Jesus can fill that gap between where we are and where we ought to be. And we ought to be better. That's why another hymn writer said, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. What stream? What fountain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus In the cross, in the cross be my glory ever. That's why Paul writes, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14 So beloved, listen. What should we do? What should you do when your conscience condemns you? Well, if you're sinning, stop it. Confess your sin to God and confess your sin to any other person that you've sinned against. And listen, rather than wallow in self-pity about how wretched you are, you should look to Jesus. You should look to Jesus. You should look to the cross and glorify God for His wonderful work to save guilty sinners. To rescue from the power of sin and Satan and to make us citizens of the kingdom of God. Listen, just remember this. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners. And beloved, that's you. And that's me. And when your conscience is condemning you, listen, there is no better news than that. To close, let me remind you of that time when the accuser of the brethren, Apollyon, accused the Christian of sins. And the Christian says essentially, you're right. You're right, but you don't know the half of it. This is from Pilgrim's Progress. Just 
Listen. Apollyon, you've already been unfaithful in serving your new Lord. So how is it possible for you to receive any wages from him? Christian, tell me, O Apollyon, in what ways I have been unfaithful to him. Apollyon, very soon after leaving the city of destruction, you were quickly discouraged when you almost drowned in the slough of despond. You made several wrong attempts to be rid of your burden, whereas you should have waited until your prince relieved you of it himself. Through shameful oversleeping, you lost a precious personal possession. Also, you were nearly persuaded to turn back at the sight of those fierce lions. And when you converse as you travel of what you have heard and seen, your inward desire is for personal glory with regard to everything that you say or do. Christian, all that you say is true. In fact, there is much more that you have left out. But the prince whom I serve and honor is very merciful and most willing to forgive. And besides this, these misdemeanors were committed in your territory where I was educated in them. And as a consequence, I have grieved over them and repented of ever doing such things. Furthermore, I have received a full pardon regarding my crimes from my prince. Apollyon, in a furious rage, I am the enemy of this prince of yours. I hate his person, his laws, and his people. For this reason, I have purposely come out to oppose you. Apollyon, or Christian, Apollyon, be very careful of what you are doing, for I am in the king's highway. That is the way of holiness, so watch yourself. And there's much more. And if you're a Christian who hasn't read The Pilgrim's Progress, I can pretty much guarantee you that it would be a blessing to you if you do. But listen, We'll stop there. And note, but note this. The Christian didn't hide his sin. He didn't say, I have no sin. He didn't even argue with the devil when he was accused of it. What he did note that was that God had already provided a remedy. And he refused to remain in the slough or the swamp of despond, of despondency over forgiven sin. And his confidence, listen, his confidence in his Savior infuriated the enemy. Friend, if, if you haven't realized that the, the gospel is too good to be true, you haven't really understood it. It's too good to be true, but it is. God so loved the world that He gave His own. What? Why? I don't know why. I just know He's good. Incredibly good. So, saints, to summarize, the remedy for a condemning conscience is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the real answer. Well, thoughts before we close?
just said John is really black and white, you know, <clears throat> but he's kind of not. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, no one who knows Jesus would continue doing these things, he says later on. But, but if you do. Yeah. When you sin. Yeah. Go to Christ. Well, saints, listen. Stay on the path. If you fall down, get back up again. Get back on the road. Well, let's be dismissed. Brother Grady, would you dismiss us, please?